Father, thank you so much for all that you have done on our behalf. Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that we get to live in every day. Lord, I pray that we don't take that for granted, that we would continue to look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, that we are being drawn closer to you each day. Pray that as we look to your word today, we will see some of the evidences for that, as well as some of the drawing that you do in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would continue to help us to focus to be more uh, about you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, we have been in a series for the last couple of weeks with uh, some of the pictures that I was able to take while I was in Israel uh, on a scholarship trip over there in February. And so I've been trying to lace some of the pictures into the biblical narrative. And so that you can have an idea of the fact that these are real places, real people, real faith. That this stuff happened, it exists, and, and uh, we're going to look at a, an author that we mentioned a little bit last week, a guy by the name of Josephus. He was a historian that was both a Pharisee and also a converted to, to somewhat of a Roman influence as they came over and took over. And so a guy that stood in the middle and, and recorded a lot of things for us. And we're going to look at some of the things he had to say about some of the characters that were involved in the life and the death of Jesus. Because really what matters is what you do with Jesus, and we continue to come back to that, right? I can tell you over and over about the real places, about the real people, about all the historical evidences, but I can't entrust you with real faith. That's given to you. That's going to be your choice. I can give you all of the evidences for the people and the places and the things that happened, but what you do with them and what you believe about Jesus is up to you. And so the whole storyline has been that as we've gone through this. The idea is that we're going to start today with the birth of Jesus and just look at some things there because we're going to look at the fact that Jesus was a real person, real, real place, right? He was born in Bethlehem and we're going to look at some of that stuff and, and some of the things that might have happened around his birth as well as what was going on inside of the world around him. And then we're going to jump right to the death because, you know, I could spend weeks and weeks and weeks, right, going through the pictures, going through Jesus's life at the Sea of Galilee, all the stories, the things that we've talked about, some of those but I want you to see how he intersects with a man named Pilate and some of the evidences for Pilate in our world as well and see how God used even the Roman authorities to execute his plan. So as we start, we're going to look in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to begin with just the birth of Jesus and some of the things that give us a picture of what it was like to live there in that moment. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to, be, went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Here we went, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to the firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So 
as we look at this, we know this is the, the, the story of, of Jesus' birth, right? This is what we do uh, when we get to Christmas every year. We read some of these things and we think about this picture and we look at it and we think about what it might have been like. One of the things that you need to understand is that Rome, Rome was firmly in control of the existing area. They had, they had done many things to, to try to understand how to tax people better, okay? And really what this census was about was about getting more money, okay? They wanted to know how many people existed and where they belonged and so, that, so they could raise more money through taxation. They didn't want to miss anybody. And if you go through the history, we can't exactly pinpoint. Luke says it was the first one to take place during Quirinius' reign. Okay? We also know that the, the, the Caesars executed many of these censuses through that period of time because they continually wanted to know who was living in Rome. They wanted you to pledge allegiance to Rome. They wanted to count you. They wanted to tax you. Okay? And so they did this over and over. And so this was just one of the censuses that they would have been part of. So they take Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because of some of the, these Roman authorities saying you've got to go here and you've got to do this. And that, that in, it, in its own way, starts to continue the story that had been left off right from Malachi. Because if you remember, this is the New Testament stuff, Right? We left the Old Testament, Malachi, God is silent with the Jews for generations. Okay? And they're awaiting their Savior. They're awaiting someone that's going to come and overthrow the Romans now. They think that Jesus is going to be born to be the military leader to lead them out of the captivity of the Roman occupation. Right? That's the whole storyline. And so they're waiting, and Jesus is just the beginning of the New Testament story. The birth of Jesus, God picks up the narrative that He's been talking about from Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the times that He mentioned this, this suffering servant, all of those things that He prophesied about through the prophets to the Jewish race are about to unfold. Okay, And so you're living in a time when Rome is, is thoroughly in control of the area and God uses them to execute some of the prophecies. By saying that everyone has to return to Bethlehem for their hometown at least, and David was the, the, the founder-in-chief of Bethlehem, that's where his line came out of, Joseph had to go back there. And so that draws Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem so that everything could happen the way it was supposed to happen. Real people in real places, folks. This is, this is happening in real time for people's lives. Okay? We sometimes get it in our minds that these things are really cool stories. right? But these are recorded so that your faith may be encouraged. At a conversation last week after church, Bob and I were talking a little bit more about some of the stuff, and, and it's frustrating at times because you want proof, right? You want the evidences. You want just to find all of the links that are missing, right? And, and you want to be able to just put it together and say, look, can't you understand? It goes here and here and here and here. But that removes the impetus of faith on our behalf. Because if you have the proof, you're just going to believe the proof, Right? People still doubt the moon landing, right? There are people out there that call it into question, that would say, I don't know that it ever happened. I think they filmed it somewhere out in a studio, and it never happened. Because they don't want to believe 
what they're being told or what they see. They don't want to have faith that that actually happened. It's the same thing with Jesus. I can give you the real people, the real places. I can walk you through the history. I can take you to some of the events. But the faith is going to be up to you. What do you end up doing with Jesus? I cannot give you enough evidence to make that leap. There's always going to be questions. If you research the census material, if you look into, well, Luke must have made an error because that census doesn't line up. There was no Herod in power at that time that, over, that overranks Quirinius. And there's a lot of little things. You can get there historically, but it was going to take some digging. It's going to take some faith that, that maybe God was doing things from the beginning of time until now for one purpose. And it might be you. You might be here today for the first time because you had nothing else to do this morning or your friend has been bothering you, right? You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Maybe you have had Jesus in your life all your life. You've been part of the church all your life. Mom and dad and grandma and great-grandpa, all them. But that still doesn't mean that you've decided that you're going to make Jesus real, that you have a real faith. So as we look at some of this stuff, I can only take it so far. And I'm going to continue to leave it with you. So as we look at this story and we see the setting and we understand that, that Rome is in control and that, that God is using Rome to, to draw together some of the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, bringing Mary and Joseph to the place where they are going to give birth to their firstborn, a son, and they're going to wrap him in cloths, they're going to place him in a manger. All of these things were foretold, right? And they're going to happen in Luke chapter 2 here. I'm going to throw a little curveball at you, though, okay? Because this is one of those things, historically speaking, that we don't know the answer to, right? I don't believe there was an innkeeper, first of all, okay? So I, I'm going to start there. All of, the, all of the plays that you have been a part of where there's been an innkeeper, an innkeeper's wife, we have somewhat manufactured that for the story to make more sense to our Western minds, okay? Because it didn't happen that way in the East. That's just not how they did things. And so there, there probably wasn't an innkeeper standing at the door saying, no, sorry, the bellhop can show you around back to the stable. You know, that's just, that's just not how it happened, Right? You stayed with family and friends probably is what more likely happened, okay? They didn't have the Holiday Inn. I stayed at some nice hotels while I was over there. I was pretty sure they were not from first century, though, okay? <laughs> what might have been, and this was one that I had actually never thought of, was that this first picture is of a, a cave-style home, okay? And this is going to attribute a couple of pieces of the story that, that we would never have thought of, that maybe... Maybe they had just dug a home into the side of the rocks because you need to understand that Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth and all these places are, there's gaias, they call them, steep ravines, lots of banks and lots of places where they could have dug out a home and that's where they would have made a home. When it was cold, the family would have lived in the front room and then as you can see, the, the home continues further back and in they would have brought the sheep in out of the fields. They would have brought in the livestock and they would have put them in a further room away from the family. Would have smelled great in there for holiday season. But they would have, they would have put them back in there to protect the livestock, but also to help warm the cave. 
There would have been a dual purpose in in why they would have done everything they did. And so you need to stretch your thinking a bit in, in terms of the way we view our world now and to take the Bible and put it into to modern day. It doesn't work that way. You have to remember that this was the first century. <laughs> Some recorded history didn't begin that long before this event, okay? We have lots and lots of information that we take in on a daily basis. We can open our phone right now and I can read lots of useless information that, that Twitter thinks is, I want to read, right? Recommended for me. That didn't happen here, okay? Totally different world, totally different culture. So there's a very good chance that, that when they got to this place, there wouldn't have been any room with the family. All the extended family might have been there, and someone would have said, but listen, we have a place in the back here. You can still sleep in the same house, right? But you're just going to have to do it back here. Now, it didn't seem as if it was very cold at the time because where were the shepherds? Still in the fields, right? So that doesn't mean that there were donkeys and horses and sheep and they may not have been there, but the mangers would have been because those feeding troughs would have been carved out of stone. It wouldn't have been two by fours nailed together and patinaed to look like a manger like we do with a torch and like, right? They would have been a, a stone trough, would have been carved right out of the, the side of the wall, and that's where the animals would have eaten. And so you could have taken your, your bedding and your straw and other things, you would have laid it in there, you would have put a blanket down, you would have laid the baby in the manger. They would have been in the home, but it would have been where the animals would have normally been kept. It's a possibility, a real possibility. That's more the picture of where Jesus was born than, than the one that we have of the nice wooden little stable. and you know, We just don't know exactly. We have the picture and we know that there were real people in real places, right? We know that this is how some people lived at that moment. We don't know exactly. We're never told exactly how it happens, right? Just that there was no room for them. This translation that I read today says there was no, room, no guest room for them, right? Others say there was no room at the inn. <laughs> Some of these things are translational things to help us understand what they might have been talking about because we don't think like this, right? A lot of folks, when they have family come visit even here in town, they don't stay with you maybe. They stay at the Holiday Inn and come visit with you during the day and things. They didn't do any of that. That wasn't the way culture worked. When they built homes, they would build one room for the main family. So even if it was a stone home, you would have had one room for the first family that was born. And the chances are when the first son got married, you built another big stone room on the back and punched a hole through the wall and that's where they stayed. <laughs> and so you just built onto your home with more stone more blocks, and you just continued and you stayed together as a family. That's just how the culture did it at the time. And you have lots of evidences that. I have I've lots of pictures of different thatched roofs and things like that, different style of homes. But this one I thought was very unique, and it was, it was an explanation that I thought I had never heard that this could be a possibility for Jesus' birth. We just need to continue as we think about these real people in real places that we don't 
understand their culture as well as we think we do. Okay? So when we read the English translation of our Bible, it's there to help us understand the story of God. Does that make sense? It helps us put it into a place of reference. If you really want to understand the culture, you're going to have to go deeper. If you really want to understand some of the things that Paul says in here about not eating meat that was offered to idols, then you've got to understand why that's important. (laughs) You've got to understand that, that those animals at that time were part of the sacrificial system and they would have been offered to a pagan god And God said, you don't want to eat that stuff because somebody has already sacrificed it to another God that they believe in. All of these different nuances matter when you read the New Testament if you're really going to understand the story entirely. So Jesus, we know, was born inside of a Roman world. We know that that He quite possibly was born in a cave even. This picture specifically, just so you know, is actually in Nazareth. It was kind of funny. as I I like to do this now. uh, I look for pictures of things that I took pictures of just to see other pictures that other folks have taken of them. Like, so I'll go on Google and I'll look for cave-style home in Israel. And somebody had taken a picture of this same one. And and it was there on, on the Internet, which probably, maybe it's my picture. Right? Who knows? Who knows? But, so, this one is specifically in Nazareth. We know that they issued a number of census decrees and that this one specifically was, was due to the fact that Jesus needed to be born in Bethlehem and that draws Him there. Why I want you to think about Pilate is I want you to think about these two lives intersecting. Jesus was born into a world that was already culturally difficult to navigate. Even the author of the histories here, Josephus, was a Pharisee in Jewish culture. And Jesus would have been born inside the Jewish culture and have to navigate all of the things about a Jewish nation inside of a Roman world. That these two things would have been intersecting for him every day. Okay, Josephus wrote a lot about these things, and that's why I want to introduce him today to you. If you've never read it, it's it's I wouldn't say it's entirely entertaining, um, but you can find some interesting tidbits in here. And as we look at the first place that that Pilate talks about is talked about inside of the Josephus writings here, it says Pontius Pilate, the procurator of Judea. He moved his army from Caesarea to winter quarters in Jerusalem, where he planned to abolish the Jewish laws. Former procurators had always had their armies enter the city accompanied by flags carrying no pictures of men out of respect for the Jewish laws. Okay, So Rome even knew Jerusalem was the holy city and out of respect for it, when their armies marched in, they would not carry the flag of Caesar. Okay? Because the Jews didn't want to serve any other image, right? They served the one true God that you didn't make an image of. Pilate decides he's not going to do that. Pilate's flags bearing Caesar's likeness were secretly erected throughout Jerusalem during the night. As soon as the flags were discovered, crowds of Jews traveled to Caesarea 
to demand Pilate remove them. He refused, feeling it would dishonor Caesar if he were to comply with the Jews and take the flags down. The crowd continued to petition Pilate for five days. On the sixth day, Pilate concealed soldiers in an area of his judgment seat. And when the crowd came to petition him again, they were surrounded and threatened with immediate death unless they abandoned their cause and returned home. The Jews threw themselves to the ground, bared their necks to the soldiers' weapons, and said they would be willing to die before abandoning their laws. Pilate, impressed by their determination and courage, ordered the flags returned to Caesarea. So Pilate ends up reneging on his decision, backing, backpedaling away from culture, taking the flags down, but only after the Jews pled with him for six days and said, listen, we're willing to die for our culture. This was the world that Jesus was going to have to navigate, right? There was literally no place for him. He wasn't born Roman. He was born Jewish, but he was coming to fulfill the law, right? To take it to its end, to be the Messiah, but in a way that they didn't really want. Jesus literally found himself. These people were literally willing to die rather than have flags of Caesar in Jerusalem. Okay, that's the Jewish side. Pilate, we already know, right, carries out the execution later. He's the one that that goes along with the religious leaders to keep the peace. And Jesus is the one that had to navigate this on a daily basis. Understanding His culture is paramount to understanding the New Testament. If you think you don't fit in the world you live in, read the New Testament. Because it was written for you. (laughs) Jesus' story is about not fitting in. About having no place in this world that was comfortable. That's the point. This world is not supposed to be our home. It's temporary. It's one of the most difficult things as a believer to get our minds around and in practice every day. (laughs) So as you read that and you see Pilate, you need to understand, and what I thought was really cool, I got to go to Caesarea. And so while I was at Caesarea, I took a picture of this tablet. Okay, So the next one is going to be of a tablet, a stone tablet. This is a replica of the one that they have in the museum because they don't leave it out in the open air, obviously. But if you look on it, you can kind of see right in the middle, it's in Latin, it says Pontius Pilatus. Okay. This was at Caesarea. They uncovered part of this tablet. And the next one will tell you what the inscription actually said. They have a little marker there, of course, that, that tells us a little bit about Pontius Pilate. The prefect of Judea erected a building dedicated to the emperor Tiberius. And so this was one of the cornerstones on a building at Caesarea that I actually got to stand at Caesarea and see this tablet with Pontius Pilate's name on it. 
And Josephus tells me that Pilate was where? He sent his army to Jerusalem, right? For winter quarters. But when the Jews went to petition him, they went where? To Caesarea. They went to Caesarea to petition Pontius Pilate right there. So when he erected the flags at Jerusalem, the Jews went out to Caesarea to find Pilate and say, you've got to take these things down. And we know that Pilate was a real person, (laughs) that Caesarea is a real place. (laughs) These things happened, and Josephus, the historian, relates the story to us. It's an extra-biblical piece of of fact for us to to build our case. And as we understand it, it gives us credibility as we understand. And I'm going to change to Matthew now. If you look at Matthew chapter 27, why is that important that we understand the culture Jesus was growing up in and how influential Pilate was? Because those two factions are going to intersect in the death of Jesus, right? The chief priests are the ones that are going to want Him killed for blasphemy, but they're going to have to do it through the Roman world that they live in. They don't have the power to execute anyone. And so in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 and 2, early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, and they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. And that's where the story of the the trials and all of the things begin. The real places, the real people, the real faith that Jesus is going to show through this entire thing. Before he was led to this point, right, he had a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. I got to stand there too in in a, a grove of olive trees and think about Jesus with His face in the dirt saying, Lord, Father, if there's any other way this can happen, if there's anything you can do to change this plan, but not my will, yours be done. Jesus was in the middle of something that He fully understood. Maybe we don't all the time. There was nowhere for Him to go. All of the chief priests and the elders had already made this plan to round Him up out of that very garden and take Him to the governor because the governor had the power to put people to death. Why would it have been a concern is because Pilate didn't always acquiesce. The very next paragraph is a different story from Josephus about Pilate. He decided that Jerusalem needed more water and Pilate planned to bring a stream from a source of water 25 miles away. To finance the work, he he used sacred money from the temple again angering the Jews. Thousands of them gathered to insist he abandon his plan, some of them openly reproaching and talking against Pilate as crowds are apt to do. 
Pilate dressed a great number of his soldiers, again, as he hides people around in the crowd, right? That's what his M.O. is. You'd think the Jews would catch on to that, but... Pilate dressed a great number of soldiers in a manner as the crowd was dressed, and he hid them. They had them hide their weapons under their clothing and secretly surround the protesters. When he told them to disperse to their homes, and they began to boldly reproach him, Pilate signaled his soldiers, who attacked the crowd more viciously than Pilate had ordered, killing many of the peaceful as well as the unruly. So Pilate had a history of killing people. Jesus would have known who He was standing in front of. He would have been brought there by His own people. By the chief priests and the elders of the family that He knew. Before a guy that He knew was treacherous, dishonest, only out to save his own skin. He was a coward. Pilate was only worried about losing his own position. He shows you that later when he waffles on what to do with Jesus, right? He doesn't know what to do with him. He has no idea how to settle this dispute and still keep his job. He knows that Jesus didn't do anything. By his own reckoning, he can't make sense of it, right? So if you jump down to verse 22 and 31, Jesus has gone through all of the trial with Pilate. He's gone to this Herod. He has come back and Pilate still doesn't know what to do with him. He's saying to the masses, he's come up with this idea that it's the time of year when I free somebody that they want freed. So I'm going to go get Barabbas, bar Jesus, this other guy, bring him out because he's a seditionist. He is a guy that was a known murderer, a reckless and disgusting individual. So I can place him beside Jesus who's done nothing but talk and heal people. (laughs) And maybe they'll let me off the hook is where Pilate's at in this again. And you know the story. When he looks at the crowd in verse 22, he says, What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Because they've said, let Barabbas go. Free him. We don't care about him. And they all answered, crucify him. And Pilate says, why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Again, Pilate taking the cowardly way out. If there's anything here that I can get in trouble for, I'm washing my hands of it, right? I'm trying to figure out a way out of this any way I can get out. I don't want this sticking to me. His wife had already warned him, don't mess around with Jesus. He knows he's in trouble. 
But he also can't afford to have an insurrection happen because they want Jesus killed. And if they start another war, if they start another battle in Jerusalem, then they're going to replace him because he can't control the Jews. And so he says, it is your responsibility. And in verse 25, all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the praetorium. They gathered a whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns. And they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. And they spit on him. They took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put on his clothes. They led him away to to crucify him. The story is one you're familiar with. You understand the context of how it happened that Jesus found Himself in a place without anyone. Pilate didn't have a choice but to answer the crowd. This first picture of a doorway in a church is a church that is now built on the site that they believe was where Jesus was flogged. There's a courtyard there that you can stand. It's the church of the flagellation, the whipping, the flogging. And they've built a church there that you can come and visit, and it's part of what is known the Via Della Rosa, right? You guys have heard it's the way of suffering, the way that Jesus would have walked to the cross. This is the beginning of that story, and it's a real place, and real people were involved, and the story's recorded not just in the Bible. The next church is another place that they have built. And inside they have this incredibly ornate wall and things built around this altar. And, and I'm such a great photographer <laughs> that there's actually a stone behind this urn. <laughs> it's underneath the altar. And that's part of the physical hillside that the church is built on. This would have been the rock outcropping where the crucifixion would have happened. And people come in through the church. Just like everything we do now, they pay money to get in to see the rock that represents the place where Jesus was crucified. It's the church of the Holy Sepulchre. This one, archaeologically, I'm going on Randy Smith's evaluation, who was a biblical archaeologist for decades, has done digging in Israel, has been with other men of world renown. He looked at me and said, we're probably within 30 or 40 feet of where it actually happened. It's a sobering moment. To understand the story 
in its full context. To understand that this was a real person in a real place that demands your real faith. Josephus wrote in his closing comments about this period of time. There was about this time, speaking of the time of Pilate, a wise man named Jesus. If it is even lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of the type of men who enjoy hearing the truth. He drew many of the Jews and Gentiles to him, and he was their so-called Christ. When Pilate, at the suggestion of the Jewish leaders, condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them alive the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, along with many other wonderful things concerning him. And the tribe of Christians named for him still exists today. And that was written years after Jesus had been crucified as he recorded the history. Even Josephus, a Pharisee, a Roman historian, straddling the gap, trying to figure out how to, how to make his own way. He ends, he, if you read his story, he's, he's a coward as well. <laughs> he saves his own skin over and over and again just to stay alive by straddling the Jewish-Roman things that are going on. He never made up his mind. But he recorded these events. And he basically leaves you with the historical evidence that, that, that he didn't know what to do with Jesus either. Right? It's not a new problem, folks. It's not one that, that you will solve in your lifetime. The only way that this will be solved is that the second coming, the return of Jesus will happen and then you'll know it. My hope is that as you understand the volume of evidence and the volume of love that God has for you, that it changes the life between now and then. That you have an opportunity in your real place with real people to make an impact for a real faith. That that is what we get to do as a result of this continuing narrative that, that God has been working from beginning to end. That we get to be drawn into this story that we get to be part of this tribe known as Christians. It still exists today thousands of years later. The opportunity is yours and, and it takes that personal step to bend your knee to believe that someone is greater than you. That someone also has your best interests in heart. That the author and perfecter of your faith, as I said earlier, 
wants a relationship with you to draw it out of you and continue to draw you to Himself. Immerse yourself in things that are good, that are right, that are noble, right? That's what, the, that's what Paul tells the Philippians. <laughs> Study this stuff for yourself. It's shocking. <laughs> we don't have Jesus' body because He rose, right? <laughs> that's what I believe. That's what Josephus According to what was recorded, he believed that Jesus showed up alive three days after he was crucified by Pilate. Josephus doesn't say that he believed. He just records the facts. So the information is there. It's a matter of you listening to the Holy Spirit. God the Father orchestrated the plan. Jesus was part of it, played the role of the suffering servant in incredibly difficult circumstances and contexts to provide you with a way to be reconciled to the Father and then leaves the Holy Spirit with you for your everyday decisions to help guide you, to help you navigate the world that you're in. Because he knows what it's like to be alone. And he knew we needed it. But we have to listen. We have to slow down long enough and entrust our lives to someone greater than ourselves for us to even understand what Jesus was trying to do. So I hope that you have a better understanding today than you ever have. Not because of what I said, but because you're actually listening to the Holy Spirit who will illuminate your heart and your mind and bring the Scriptures to life for you in a way that you've never understood. That's my prayer for you. Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give for us to read your Word for the opportunity we have to be a part of what you're doing in our world. Lord, thank you for opportunities like I have had even to travel and to see the context of the gospel. To be inside of a, of a world and a place and a time that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. Lord, I pray that you would continue to make it clear to us how much you love us. That you would continue to draw us to yourself. That you would allow us to be in this very real place with the very real people that are around us that we might be living out a very real faith in front of them. Father, thanks for the opportunity for that. In Jesus' name, amen.